What's happening? Uh, we're going to have Woj on today for a good 30-plus minutes. We get Saruti back at the lab. How's it going there? Will good, show producer. It's going well. You know, uh, fresh off a magic loss to the Blazers last night, so... It was, up, it was a late night one. It was a close game. But you stayed they, uh, up for that? I did, of course. I mean, it was on NBA TV, so Good obviously had to check it out. Yeah, they were in it. I mean, the thing is, is there's certain nights where I go, is the, are they good? Like, if they had yep. the perfect kind of, I mean, this is saying something as if it's easy to just pluck it out of thin air, but if they had the perfect guard to just plug in there that was like a nasty, oh my God, like a, a top 15, that's all you need is a top 15 point guard in today's league, they might be good. I mean, I totally, their backcourt is terrible. Um, I mean, their point guards are, are Grant and, 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 uh, well, Fournier kind of plays a little bit of point, and then obviously DJ Augustine. Uh, I don't know. I just, do you I, miss Alfred Payton? Nope, I do not, which is, which is, which should tell you everything you need to know there. Um, I don't know. That's why I've been kicking around. Do they, do they, do they pull, you know, we'll talk to Woj about it, but do they pull the trigger on John Wall? Can they, can they do anything to get Kemba out of Charlotte? I don't know. Mm. Probably not. I don't know, but then, you know, Aaron Gordon has moments where, uh, and I talked with Simmons about this. Simmons and I did almost two hours. He he had me do my first and second All-NBA team uh, for the ringer, and I, I went into it, and I just sent him a text. I was like, yeah, no problem, whatever you need. And then I started looking at it. I go, this is so hard. Like, he ended up leaving Durant and LeBron off of the first team and putting them as second team forwards behind Giannis and Kawhi. And when you really break it all down, it's not an absurd thing. I just felt like it was kind of absurd to not have LeBron with uh, the team around him, to not have him on first team, but that put Durant second, and you can make an argument, you know, Durant's been as good as anybody. So it was really, really hard, but in the conversation, somehow Orlando came up. Uh, I don't know how. Because I was going to say. <laughs> second team guys, but uh, maybe it was because they'd beaten, they'd beaten Boston. He was in attendance for it. We were both at the game. We weren't sitting together. He was they just there beat with, the Lakers, too. They swept the Lakers this year. They swept the Lakers. They had that really competitive game against the Warriors, and Clay and Durant went absolutely Ugh. bananas in the fourth quarter. So, yeah, right. I've watched two full, full Magic games the last couple couple days, and I worry about the Aaron Gordon stuff. I think Aaron Gordon becomes one of those dudes where you go, yeah, of course you have to max him, and then you max him. You go, that really sucks that we maxed him. Oh no, but I don't hate his con- I don't hate his contract. They didn't they didn't max him, so he's okay. The cap goes, and up. they did miss him last night a ton. Anyway, too much Magic talk. That's the Magic minute. No, to start I, the I don't think. I don't think it is to. Do you have a magic minute? Do you want to add to that? So I well, I actually have a buddy who, um, who's a he's he's a well known guy in Magic Twitter. His his handle is at I like this team eleven. Huge Magic fan. He he tweeted me yesterday saying, well "Sorry, you need to set your boy Rosillo straight on Aaron Gordon." I said, "Why? You think he's sleeping on him?" And he goes, "Yeah, he sacrifices a lot on offense. They don't run any plays for him. Like he's actually better than you think." Oh, no kidding. But my response was, if he was better on offense, wouldn't they run more plays for him? Yeah, that sounds like a real fan thing. No offense to I like this team eleven. Um, you know, when when you think of Aaron Gordon, you think of somebody that you go, okay, how how good can he be? Right? Can he be special for us? And that's the lens that I watch him through. Right? Yeah, it's always going to be. But if well, if he just adds this one piece, and he's just never going to add that one piece, right? Yeah, and it's a bad week. I mean, he was terrible against the Warriors, and it doesn't play last night, so. Um, not not the best week, so I'll I'll start watching him again. But I, whenever I don't know, I I think I have my Aaron Gordon answer. I do. Do you have anything else to add? You know, no. what I saw today was this is great. The way the aggregate stuff works is because I watched. I don't know why I got excited. I was home and I go, all right, I'm gonna make sure I'm back home in front of a TV at four. 
And Steve Weissman, remember Steve Weissman? Yeah, of course. Yeah, well. So he lives in the area, and we hadn't talked in, I think, six months. And he's just like, hey, do you want to do something? I go, you know what? There's some big games tonight I'm pretty excited about. I got to watch the games. I was like, feel free to stop by. And then I looked at the games. I go, what is it about this slate that I'm so excited about? Because usually Wednesday is a better slate, but the college basketball stuff was getting in the way of the ESPN stuff. So I really was locked into Knicks and Sixers, and I don't know why. I don't know why I was, but the reason I'm telling you this story, and the Knicks are a mess. Like They they missed everything last night, and Fizdale's saying that he wanted 25 games to do all these different rotations, and now Knox doesn't play all the time, and Neil Aquina doesn't play all the time. And Trey Burke's taking a million shots, although he was great against Boston. And then Canner's starting again. Like they're doing all these different rotation things. And Fizdale did make a good point. He goes, you know, everybody talks about develop, develop, develop. He goes, the guys that are old on our team are 25. So why can't I still kind of develop them a little bit? Although I always fear some of the old school coaches. And I think Fizdale has some of that old school thing in him coming up with Miami is that they feel like they have to break everybody mentally before then they can play in the league. And that's always one of those constant coach front office battles. And I'm not 100% sure who is right. I just know if I worked in front office, I'd want Kevin Knox to play more. And I know if that I were a coach and Kevin Knox were doing things that I didn't like, I wouldn't want to just give him minutes because he was a lottery pick while vets would feel like I'm you know, not rewarding the right guys. So that that's always this thing. So the longest setup ever to what I'm about to say is that... <laughs> When I was reading Hoops Hype rumors, and I would love Hoops Hype to have a sortable rumors page where it's like, here are the rumors that you'll care about, and then here are all the ones that you won't care about. <laughs> so, and what they do is they layer in 60% of the things that they post on that. I don't care. None of us, all of us. This isn't just me. There's some international thing. There's some stupid real estate deal. There's some agent thing that nobody cares about. And it's like, just get me to the fake NBA ones. And the first one this morning was Magic interested in the Lakina. Saw and that. Like, yep. Yeah. And do you know where it came from? I went back and read the article from The Athletic, which is great, by the way. But it seriously was one quote from a scout, an unnamed scout, saying about Neil Aquina, he's intriguing. You know who tells me that? Girls that don't go out with me. Okay? He's intriguing. You would you would love like European soccer transfer rumors then because they literally they literally do like oh like so and so's mom was in London like rumored to be Arsenal target and like there's that that's it that's all it was there's nothing there's no actual facts behind it not even any interest it's just like blatant like you know blatant just making things up nothing nothingness I read an article this morning about Fultz as I was prepping next door to our LA live studios having a little breakfast early. By the way, it's freezing this morning out here in L.A. I just roll out of the house, short sleeve shirt, got a couple high-level meetings today, and try to dress up a little bit, and it's just dumping rain and wind. Which What's freezing, I've, though? What are we talking? Uh, it's like you know, 30 here. Yeah, yeah. It was cold out here. Boys getting soft. Yep. But the whole quote was, Phoenix at some point, and I'm paraphrasing this, but like Phoenix had had interest in Fultz before. <laughs> You're like, wait a minute. Phoenix thinks they're too good for Fultz? Like, you guys think you're too good? You guys don't even play Josh Jackson anymore. So I wrote a bunch of notes for last night's game. All of the games stunk. Like some of them were close. The Magic Portland game was close. Lillard, Bro- man. Brooklyn, yeah, Utah was close. But do you want to hear my breakdown on those lineups? No. 
Do you want to hear about Giannis going against uh, Archie Diacono for the Bulls? No. And the Bulls' late-game shot selection is just terrible, despite Jabari's putting up some pretty good numbers the last five games, but he doesn't play any defense. We already knew that. Um, I don't know. I wrote a bunch of notes down, and I don't think any of it is important. So what I'm going to do is a live read. I have some football stuff at the back end. We're going to do like 30-plus minutes with Woj, so that'll be better than anything I have. How's that? Love it. Okay. Before we get to Woj on Fultz's future, Kawhi's future, who the Lakers are going to want to go after, Portland's future, Washington's future, we really hit it out of the park today. I want to tell you a little bit about the watches. You know I like watches. You know I like to, um, you know, I bought my first one when I got my first real full deal, health benefits, go to the dentist and all contract with ESPN years ago, and I bought myself a watch. So maybe you should too. Here's the deal. Tissot is the official watch of the NBA. Shop the latest timepieces at USTissohop.com. That's T-I-S-S-O-T-S-H-O-P.com. Tissot is a Swiss watch brand with a broad and versatile range of high-quality watches at attractive prices. Each one of Tissot's timepieces delivers quality performance and traditional luxury. Tissot prides itself on the precision and style of its classic sport and contemporary collections while committing to make excellence accessible to everyone. Tissot stands by its signature, Innovators by Tradition, since 1853. That's a long time, folks. Tissot watches have stood for Swiss quality and reliability. With more than 4 million Tissot watches sold all around the world each year, and is Switzerland's watch of choice, you can't go wrong with a Tissot watch. Tissot Chrono XL. It's a great watch for those looking for a sporty chronograph with Swiss technology at an unbeatable price. At 45 millimeters, it's one of the largest chronographs in the Tissot collection. The size of the dial... Makes time easily readable with contemporary Arabic numerals at 12, 3, 6, and 9 o'clock and a chronograph function that adds to its urban style. The Tissot Chrono XL definitely makes a statement and is available for $350 at USTissotShop.com. How about the Tissot PR100 Sport Chic? The Tissot PR100 family of watches brings together sporty and feminine details for a collection that is bold, romantic, and ideal for the modern woman. There you go. It's generous case size, now measuring at 36 millimeters, means it's bigger than its predecessors and makes a striking statement. Features of the watches are both robust and beautifully streamlined, as shown by the stronger bezel and simplified bracelet, making the Tissot PR100 an easy piece to wear every day. The Tissot PR100 Sport Chic is available for $375 and up at TissotShop.com. Tissot is the official watch of the NBA. Tissot brings performance and style to the game by offering painstakingly accurate timekeeping and stylish and authentic watches. Tissot is the official timekeeper of the NBA. Tissot worked with the league to introduce state-of-the-art shot clocks and integrated timing systems in all 29 NBA arenas of first in league history and ensure consistent timekeeping in each second of NBA gameplay. Tissot activates its NBA partnership at major NBA milestones and throughout the year, engaging with fans at NBA All-Star, NBA Draft, at retail locations of NBA broadcast partners on digital and social media and with each of its partner teams during the season. This holiday season, get the NBA fan in your life a Tiso watch. Tiso team quicksters are 50% off, available only at USTisoShop.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at at Tiso. Okay, this is fun. We're going to talk hoops with Woj. We're just going to get into it. We'll do some stuff um, a little bit later, as we mentioned, at the top of the whole thing. What's up, man? How are you? Thanks for doing this. Ryan, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, man. 
So when I look through the West, and I know it's you know twenty plus games in here, it it seems weird, but I, I still think even though it's a quarter way in the season, this is really odd the way this whole thing is playing out. The Rockets are the second worst team right now in the West, and they're only five games behind the number one seeded Clippers. So I think the biggest disappointment, even though Boston should be better, but Utah's the same team. They're not good defensively, and you know Mitchell's missed a little bit of time, but they're ten and twelve. I watched the game against the Nets and they pulled it out, but it was still again against the Nets, even though it was close. And they make a trade for Corver. So tell me about the trade with Corver and tell me what you think of Utah so far. Well, the the Corver trade, there was a lot of there, there were a lot of teams interested in him. Um, you know, that was going to be the one player, you know, that was going to maybe move before the, you may see, I don't know if we'll see a flurry on December 15th when the free agents can become eligible to be traded, but talks get more serious then because you can just include so many more players in trades. Uh, but there were lots of teams interested in Corver. Uh, the Wizards uh, were one team, um, plenty of others. And <clears throat> I think for Utah, um, there, there's concern there. Like they, like you said, it is the same team back and, you know, and in talking, I, I just think, <clears throat> you know, talking to players there and front office coaches, you know, I think that there's a sense of, Hey, we kind maybe we came back a little bit like just expecting to pick up where we left off. And that team had a great edge to it last year. And, and it's funny, even when they dug themselves that hole early in the season and, fought out of it and got in the playoffs, won the first round series. Even when all that happened, they they weren't expecting to do that last year. It was it was a surprise. Um and this year I think they're trying to recreate I think some urgency that that they you know maybe some urgency with this group. And so I think Corver certainly gives them, you know, three point shooter. He's been there before organization he was there quite a while before but 2007 2010 um but <clears throat> i think for them uh you know they gave up you know alex alex burks who uh you know they certainly think corver is an upgrade and the two second round picks you know they saved enough money in the trade that if they wanted to go buy another pick they they got back enough money uh, in savings in the contracts here that if they wanted another second-round pick, they could just go buy one. So I think in their minds it was really giving up uh, one second-rounder. And uh, and and so, uh, you know, they'll see how he can impact things. But um, but I think Utah itself is surprised at how this has gone so far. But I do think they have good leadership in that locker room. They got an elite coach in Quinn, Quinn Snyder, and um, they'll play better. They'll play better. Yeah, I can't imagine that this is going to continue. I, I just I can't. And – um, you know, the Mitchell story, you know, let's just see, let's just see how different I have a feeling, even if they're not as good as they end up being last year. Um, I, I feel like halfway through the season, we're going to go, Hey, remember when those, like the standings were out of control there? Because there still feel like there's three, is it three teams in the West that I have to find a playoff spot for, you know, Utah, Houston, and, you know, depending on how people feel about the Timberwolves or the Pelicans, you know, because as I mean, right now Dallas is in. Dallas at ten and nine is the eight mm-hmm. seed. That can't last. I mean, Sacramento's flirted with it. I feel like they play really tough. And then Memphis is taking a little bit of a step back in the last week or so, but they've been terrific. Has the Memphis thing surprised you at all, or anyone that you've talked to, and kind of how 
Good. There are only four games over 500 here, but I don't know. Maybe it's just a reminder of how good those two guys are when things are right. That's right. And I think what J.B. Bickerstaff has done is he's truly, I think, worked to try to reclaim the identity that organization had. And I think there was this feeling of the NBA's changed so much and we've got to start playing like everybody else a little bit. And um, I, I think he's embraced. And I think as long as they have Connolly and, and, and especially Marcus Saul, um, and, and having those two healthy, I think certainly <clears throat> having those two healthy, but then the arrival of Jaron Jackson, who has a chance to be a star. And uh, they thought he would be really good defensively, rebounding, blocking shots. Um, but offensively, he's been further along than they expected, um, than what people had maybe seen at Michigan State uh, at 19 years old. And so uh, Jackson, you know, this is how you hope it happens for a team who drops in the lottery in one year. I mean, this is what it's supposed to look like, right? You have some injuries, you get you get popped into the lottery, you get knocked out of the playoffs, you're in the lottery, you, you dip down there one year, you get a you know, you get a cornerstone young player at number four, potentially, and then you get right back to the playoffs. And I think that's how this is supposed to work. You're not supposed to be there every year. And I think um, you know, for Memphis, um <clears throat> they're tough. They're just they play differently. It's 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 how it was a few years ago. They played differently than everybody else. Um, they just want to drag you. I thought Tim McMahon had a really good piece about it on uh, .com the other day. And, you know, like they drag you down into the mud. That's what they want to do with you. And, um, uh, <clears throat> you know, and I think for them, uh, just getting back to the playoffs, I think for them would be uh, a great success because that's a marketplace they don't want to, <clears throat> you know, they don't want to tear that thing down. You know, there are a lot of calls for that the last couple of years. And, uh, you know, they've missed on some other draft picks. And so they're, the influx of young players there hasn't been very good because they hadn't drafted well. But, you know, I don't want to say they made up for all of it with Jaron Jackson, but they hit on Jaron Jackson, and, and I think that, that buoys them now. Okay, speaking of tearing it down, because I always, <clears throat> whenever I hear, you know, frustrated fan bases and sometimes it happens in the media i think portland's a good example of you know whenever portland doesn't do anything beyond and again you know last year's disappointment with uh getting swept by the pelicans but still like what did you really think that the trailblazers were going to do uh bigger picture maybe the last couple years and people were like oh they need to shake this up they need to tear it down and then when i talk to people around the league it's like you know look they they love their backcourt they like what Zach Collins may be. They like some of the other little pieces. And, you know, just because everybody else has no patience doesn't mean that they should do it. So having said right. all of that, right? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Jump in. No, no. I, I, I agree with you. And I and I, I think it's ludicrous. Like, I just think that this idea of people wanting this race to get to gut your team and get into the lottery, like how many years of lottery picks is it going to take to find another Dame Lillard or another C.J. McCollum? You'll be in the lottery forever trying to find two guys like that. And it's crazy. And so I think, you know, the, Zach Collins, I think they're hoping can be that third guy. And they loved him from the day they drafted him. <clears throat> and, um, you know, they've got to wait on his development a little bit. But I think he's sped it up. He's been, he's been good this year. Um, and, you know, like the idea that you're supposed to apologize for being a team that's in the <clears throat> high 40s, of regular season wins, they were no question last year. They were disappointed in what happened in the New Orleans series. But I'm not a big believer in you just tear things up because of a bad week. Um, when you look over the longer period and how consistently they played last year, um, I think you keep finding ways to try to complement McCollum and 
and uh, and Dame, and they've listen. They got a really good GM there. They got a really good coach. They got two star players. Um, you know, like we said, hoping to to develop a third one and Zach Collins, and you know, you see Myers Leonard has had somewhat of a revival this year, and so uh, like like to me, you keep building around teams like that, like and you. Um, they've got a building that's full every night. Um, they're really tough to beat at home. You don't just tear that down. And I just think you see what happens. I mean, it's just so perilous getting in the lottery and, and you'll just be stuck there. You can just be stuck there for years. And, um, you know, I think they've had a playoff run now of six straight years, seven straight years. Um, you can, there's not many teams in the West who've, who've done that. Well, I look, I agree with you. And, you know, if they were to get bounced again, too, like I always ask people, like, what did you, what did you think that they were going to do? And yes, you thought Portland this past playoffs was not going to get swept by New Orleans, but, you know, Drew Holiday was terrific. Anthony Davis is one of the five best players in the league. And, you know, you can sit there and, and say, well, you're going to break up the backcourt and add a big. And you're like, well, who's the big? Like, tell me what, tell me what my options are. Because are my options that I'm competitive with one of the best backcourts in the NBA? Okay. That's one. I already have that one in front of me. What's the other mm-hmm. option? Like, oh, trade, well, and- split it up for somebody worse for other pieces. And so my team yeah. isn't as good. I mean, unless Lillard decides to go nuclear one day and team up with LeBron, then, you know, if he's still okay with it, then, I'm not in any hurry to break any of that kind of stuff up, and that's usually right. how and, I feel about all these teams. Yeah, and, and you have players who like being in Portland. You have Lillard and McCollum have loved being in Portland. Not, it's not, <clears throat> you know, free agents aren't lining up to go live in the Pacific Northwest. They just aren't. They never have, ever. And so <clears throat> when you have players like that who embrace the market, <clears throat> who, who love being there, you don't get rid of them. And listen, they've tried to use their other pieces to get a third, you know, at different times a third, um, a third star. They they tried to get at Paul George at different times, and you know, when when he was you know in Indiana coming out, and like in the, didn't have enough pieces to to do it, or you know, Indiana took a different deal. But you know, you've got it. You're going to have to take a risk on somebody at some point, and and hope you can sell them on winning and sell them on the organization, and forget the geography. Um, but you know, part of why. McCollum and Lillard have liked being there is the environment in the organization. You know, they have, they had a great owner in Paul Allen, um, you know, the front office, the, you know, Terry Stotts is their coach and Olshay and, and, and you create an environment where those guys want to be a part of it. And that's not a small thing. And, and so now, you know, you kind of, you, you know, you might bide your time for a couple of years where you say, okay, we know we're not better in golden state. We know we're not better than Houston. Um, not sure if we're better, then OKC, but but we're kind of in it with everybody else, and then all of a sudden Houston falls off in this year, and and you if you're Portland and you're looking around at the West, are you like besides Golden State, who's who are you going to bed thinking we can't beat that team, and and so um, th- they can be right there with everybody else, and you don't just throw away that opportunity and say ah let's just start over because we're not better than Golden State. Well, the whole league would be in the lot. The whole the whole league would be gutting themselves if that was the case. And so, I, I think they've stayed right on course. And I think, you know, they've kind of put themselves in a position now, you know, where it's it's not inconceivable. All of a sudden, they pop and, you know, they're in the conference finals. Now, are they going to beat the Warriors? No, they're not beating the Warriors. But neither is anybody else. 
Okay, so we're in agreement there. Having said that, when is this Wizards thing going to be over? Um, I, I've they've been one of my least favorite teams now for about two years. I, of all the yeah. things I've been wrong about, I couldn't have been more right about them. They're delusional. Their mentality is 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 bad. Whatever the combo of all these different personalities, you can see it on the court. You can hear it in their post game stuff. They say the wrong things all the time about how good they are, and then they're not. <laughs> And now, you know, we have it to the point here with Wall and Beal, like we knew. Like I've been, I ask and I go, what's, what's the story with those two guys? Like, okay, well, you know, they don't like each other, but it's, it's a lot of it like Beal's, Beal's all business, you know, that thing. He's made me a little bit more mature for his age. Not to say that Wall's immature, but Wall's maybe more about the scene and all those. They're just two completely different kinds of guys. And then you add the offseason guys to this whole thing. And it, I just, I wonder when you talk to different people around the league, and as much as we can talk about John Wall being a trade piece, I don't know who would trade for that contract because it hasn't even kicked in right. yet. What What are the Wizards going to do? How do people talk about the Wizards when you talk to them? Well, you just said it. The John Wall contract would be really hard to trade. That doesn't mean they can't. But Nothing's well, impossible. Right. What you can get back and is it worth doing and, and who the market would be. It's really small. Bradley Beal. Everybody would love to have Bradley Beal. He's 25 years old. You know, he's he's got years on his contract. Um, you know, uh, I think he's seen as a professional, serious-minded guy. Um, all the things you'd want. His skill set certainly is something everybody in the league wants. So, uh, you know, Otto Porter is the player that they've tried to put in deals to get, you know, Otto Porter and a pick – and pick whoever else you want on the roster to try to go get Jimmy Butler or to try to go get Kawhi Leonard. Well, that didn't get it done. And that's probably not going to get it done with the next really good player available. <clears throat> so if they want to really improve their team, you know, it's, it's, you know, I think what they have found is the marketplace isn't there for the rest of their roster. And that's why, you know, when we reported last week or 10 days ago, whenever it was, that they were willing to listen on everybody. That's the reason they knew they couldn't get, you know, the Jimmy Butler, Kawhi, uh, Derby's, you know, showed them what the value of their players were a little bit. And, and probably some others that we don't even know about showed them what they could get for those guys. And it wasn't much. And so they said, okay, we have to be open to listening to everything. Now there's a difference between being opening to listening on those guys and then making a decision to do a trade. Well, they're, they're certainly different. And, you know, a lot of it gets back to ownership and what Ted Leonsis wants to do, what he's willing to do. Does he does he want to go into a rebuild, or does he want to keep having Ernie Grunfeld try to do patchwork around the two guards? And um, you know, it's it's you know, it's funny. It's like it's because of the environment and because of how toxic it's become. You know, you have to, as an organization, you have to decide what's our stomach for enduring this. And they have shown they have shown a stomach to continue to endure it and to try to get through this. And um, uh, you know, do they trade? Do they? I mean, is this an organization that's going to be willing to trade another future first to get somebody you know and, and cobble together whatever kind of package they can to make some nominal you know to make some nominal improvement around those two and think you know that's the kind of move that sets you back. Um, when you gave, you know, they gave up a pick for, for Morris and, you know, are they going to give up another one? And so, um, you know, the thing that Ted Leonsis may want to do here too, is to make, to get out of the luxury tax. And so do they look to get off contracts, whether it's Mahimi or, 
Do they get Dwight's contract off? He's guaranteed next year. Um, and do they attach a pick to that to do that? Like, would they do that? I don't know if they would do that, but I've heard that raised um, if he wants to, you know, to make sure that they're not in the tax. So um, there's no – and Zach, Zach Lowe's written a lot about this, and I think he's the way he said it. Like, there's no easy way out of this. There's no just simple solution. Um, it's going to whatever, whatever route they go is probably going to create even more, inflict more pain for a longer period than just staying uh, status quo. So you would, I, I agreed with, you know, the whole thing about like whenever Rashard Lewis and Gilbert Arenas, those deals could be done. Like that should always be the lesson. Rafe LaFrance deal, like there are no impossible deals, but is there any market for John Wall? I would say, and I'm not saying necessarily it's these two teams, but I'm saying it would be two teams like these two, a Miami, a New Orleans, teams who <clears throat> are very much in win-now modes, um, teams who, you know, does Pat Riley care as much about having a $47 million contract on his deal, what, five years from now? How many years is it away with John yes, the last so, year of his deal, with his new yeah, deal? Yeah, right, because he's in the yeah, last year yeah, of you the know, first at max. Yeah, so who want to be good now? Like, and and Miami's always willing to gal- gamble on talent. They always have been, and we'll make it work, and we'll coach them, and we'll bring them into our environment. And so, and I'm not saying they are interested. I'm saying those are the kind of teams you'd have to look at and say those might be the places that would weigh it. New Orleans is in a situation where they are going to try to do whatever they can to get some significant talent around Anthony Davis before he's going to make a decision on his future there. And again, that's taking on a lot of money. It might be giving out another pick uh, going forward. Um, and, and again, I'm not saying the Pelicans would do that, but those are the kinds of places that you would see are in a mode where we need to, <clears throat> we need to make a, we need to take a gamble. And there's a lot of other places who aren't in that mode. We don't have to take, we don't have to risk, um, we, we don't have to take a risk like John Wall. And, and I think most are, in a, most are in a situation where they don't. But there's always a few who do and who would look at it. But, but yeah, it's, it's going to be really hard to move him and get back the value that makes sense to move him. Okay, Kawhi has been terrific in Toronto. Uh, they've been, you know, arguably them and Milwaukee, the best teams in the East. And he just got a new deal with New Balance, which I thought was a joke for the first few hours when I'd heard about it. Um, but that's real. He's $5 million a year from New Balance. What are you hearing about the possibilities? Because I have this theory that if Kawhi stays in Toronto, then you're going to have some of the – I wouldn't even blame it on the front offices, but it would be owners just trading for anybody who only has a year left on their contract because they go, look, Paul George stayed, Kawhi stayed. Like, Do you have any feel whatsoever on how Kawhi – from a basketball standpoint, he's fit in perfectly in Toronto, but beyond this year? You know, I still think Toronto has ground to make up. I still think they – there's <clears throat> the selling they need to do is going to be over <clears throat> the entire season. And I don't think that they've, I'm not sure he's fully sold on a future there. That doesn't mean he won't do it, but I think there's more, more, they need more time to be able to do it. You know, Paul George, I was in Oklahoma city five days, six days after the trade and was with him when he got to OKC and you could tell right away. I thought they had a great, great shot to keep him. I thought that, uh, he had really um, was really taken with the place and how they had received him and 
how he had hit it off with Russ and what he felt about the organization. And he was a little angry with the Lakers that they didn't trade for him when they could have. Uh, like I thought right away, Paul George and Paul George's personality, like you can read him a lot better. He's much more of an he's much more of an open person. Uh, his personality is different. You just knew they had a great chance. Um, with Kawhi, it's just going it's going to take a long time for the people there to really get to know him. That hasn't fully happened yet, and and build trust with him. That doesn't happen quickly with him. It took years in San Antonio for people to really build relationships with him. It's only been a few months in Toronto. And so, um, like, I think their work is, they've got a lot of work left to do, but I think they always felt the best chance was winning was to allow, to have him feel what it was like to win there and to get to the conference finals or maybe get to the NBA finals. And that that's where, you know, that's how they would be able to do it. They're not selling them on climate. They're not selling them on the country. They've got to sell them on winning and winning there. And um, because if it was about geography, if it was about only, you know, climate, or he, he would just go to L.A. And he may yet still just do that. But, you know, Toronto's got to sell them on, you know, the one thing that they've, I think they've had success with, and I've been told he's been really pleased with, is the work with Alex McKechnie, who is, uh, you know, they're, um, the right word you know he's not their trainer he's the one who he's like a physiologist physiologist i don't know what he is i don't know what he is right <laughs> he he works he works with the players on their injuries i don't know what his yeah. title is um but he's Guru. he's world renowned yeah. uh he'd been in la prior and works in toronto now and 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 you know you've seen them be very patient with his um with his physical comeback here, you know, they've kept him out of back to backs. They've shown him we're not treating you like a rental. We're going to, we're not just going to put you out on the court every night because we only have you for this year, potentially. Um, you know, I think they've showed great care with his body and, um, you know, controlled his minutes early on and then controlled the back to backs. And I think there'll be a point where he'll play back to backs. Um, but, you know, I think they've tried to, you know, that's been a real focus of their attention with him. So those are all the things you have to hope add up, but I don't think they've, they're going to add up to the point where he's like, yeah, I'm ready to stay um, in late November. Okay. Two more things that I want to hit to there. Cause you mentioned Kawhi, like in the same stuff, like, okay, would he go to LA? It's always felt like it would be Clippers, the favorites over the Lakers. Um, I'm not the read I get on that is I, I don't know. Like I'm not saying LeBron wouldn't want to play with Kawhi, but I don't know that that would be his first choice. And I don't think it has anything to do with his ability. I think it has more to do with personality. And as I've watched this Lakers thing up close from out here, it was very clear. And Windhorse did a great piece on it where he was going to try to, like it was almost that thing where, you see somebody doing something that's not natural to them. For him, it was him to play sort of a backseat role for long stretches of games. And he'd still get the numbers. So maybe it was hard to see it unless you were watching the games, but he would, he would coast and coast in a way where he like wanted other guys to take the initiative. And now he's decided, all right, enough of that. And some of it's been the opponent's schedule too, why they played better other than that Denver debacle the other night. But I know that you've written about this for a while and I look at the mess that Cleveland is. And there's no way you can ask the question this simplistic and say, hey, is LeBron worth it? Because the answer is always yes, he's worth it. But do you ever hear from people just the carnage <laughs> that is left behind in that the specific things that you have to do 
to be involved with LeBron knowing it can come back to haunt you? And the, the answer still is always, yes, I want the player. But when I look at the Cavs' yeah. salaries, when I look at Pat Riley looking like he wanted to go Andy uh, Bernard on a, on a, on a sheetrock wall after, you know, LeBron <laughs> left, you know, he looked like he was losing the first time Cleveland. You had written about that eight years ago, how upset they were. Like, look, the Lakers have a longer commitment with him, but I just wonder kind of what knowledge you can expand on with just the thing with LeBron is you're, you're on his terms, like it or not, all the time. That's right. Yeah, you are. And it's worth it if you want, if you've won a championship, it's worth it. And, it was worth it in Miami. They won two titles and went to uh, uh, four finals. Um, Cleveland, it was worth it. They won. They won a championship. And but he does leave. Um, you know, he generally can leave carnage in his wake. He left them. You know, J.R. Smith and Tristan Thompson's contracts. Um, those were contracts that you know they had to overpay those guys to please to please him. And and then they become players that when you want to trade them are really hard to do when it, whether it was when he was there to try to improve the team or now in his, with him gone. And, uh, you know, the Lakers, even if they don't win a championship in this four years, does him making the Laker brand relevant again? I mean, the building's always full anyway, but, but all the ancillary things that come with having him, even if they don't win a championship with him there, Probably worth it. Yeah, I'm sure it is. But you do have to. Um, the organization bends to him. He's not bending to the organization, and, and you know that. And, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see what it looks like in recruiting this summer. Who wants to play with him? Who, who sees themselves fitting in with him? Because, you know, when you look at the big free agents, Ryan, this summer, most of them, all of them, uh, have won championships. And they're not necessarily ring chasing. They're looking at where am I comfortable? And so whether that's Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard, uh, I guess we can probably take Kyrie Irving safely out of the mix. He's probably not going to consider. I'm going to go ahead and report that now. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to. Yeah, I think, you know, and, and our assumption is he's going to stay in Boston. He has said he will, but you never know. Things can change. I don't think it will. I think he's doesn't make any sense, but but. Take him at his word. He's going to be in Boston. So, uh, you know, and then you go down the list. Is it, I mean, do we get to the Kemba Walkers? Do we get to, you know, um, you know, when you look at the other, you know, big possible free agents. And, again, these guys have won titles, um, not Kemba. But but the, you know, the, the Warrior the free top agents. Guys, right. Top guys, Kawhi. And so they're, you know, they may pick comfort they may pick being the guy somewhere um at whatever it is or maybe they'll pick the lakers but i think um you know it's not it's not necessarily easy to always play with him he shares the ball he's a very unselfish player but also like you know when you don't win with him you're going to get a lot of blame kevin love is that example for people like if you're with lebron you're probably not going to get much credit if you win you're going to get a lot of blame if you lose and so all those things will be factors, uh, but it's still the Lakers and it's a big platform. And uh, he does have some strong relationships with guys. And so, but I, but I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that they're going to get, um, that they're going to get a big free agent. And so uh, I, I think for, I think for the Lakers, um, the one thing they do have going for them is they have those young assets that, 
if they were to strike out in free agency, then they can go out, use those assets uh, to make a trade. I think the perk now here's the perk the Lakers are dreaming of. We get a big free agent with our cap space. Then we trade for a third free agent, or excuse me, we trade for a third star yeah. with our young players and, and, and a pick. Um, and we know who that would be or who they would like to, you know, you know, Anthony Davis and, you know, let, let's sign a big free agent and then go trade for Anthony Davis. Now, what may happen Hassan is Whiteside. if they don't get anybody, right? Kidding. If they don't get anybody, then they have to maybe just go use those guys this summer to trade for somebody. One guy, that one last thing that I want to get to here before we're done. Um, you know, Van Pell called me the other day and was like, I'm doing a one big thing on Markel Fultz. Okay. And he's like, will there be, you know, you asked me, he goes, you know, do you think there's any market? And I go, there's always going to be someone that will trade something for the guy that was the number one pick a year and a half ago. There always will be. And I immediately thought of Darko, um, getting traded to Orlando and they ended up getting kind of a mid, Middle first round pick for that, right? Uh, let me double check here. So it was 2006. The trade happened. Yeah. So it was, uh, ended up being the 15th pick. Okay. It was Rodney Stuckey. Um, what are you hearing? Because this is different. I mean, Darko, I think it was easier to go back. I remember when it was happening, it was easier to kind of say, look, it was a bad fit. They didn't really even need mm-hmm. him. It was this veteran team. You know, let's get him out of there. He actually had a nice little run statistically there with Orlando, but like Darko was just an immature guy at the time and he just, he wasn't into it. He didn't love it. Uh, you can go back. It's very easy to tell you the story after the fact of why Darko yeah. didn't work out despite the immense skills that he had and some of my favorite, most trusted front office guys raving about him, being like, this guy's insane how good he is. Okay. So it didn't work out. But when you talk about faults with teams, like I'm, I'm not like everyone can write him off that I talk to be like, Oh, we're not interested. We're not interested. Somebody will be interested enough. I just wonder what Philly be willing to pull the trigger on. Well, I think right now they would struggle. My sense is that they feel they would struggle to even get a first round pick. They might have been able to get one a month ago or two months ago. Um, but while, while he's away from the team, while he's getting checked out, the uncertainty now is, you know, it's 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 murkier around the league about what exactly, how much of this is physical, how much of this is mental. Maybe it's it's probably more of a combination, but nobody really knows. And, um, you know, he's due nine million dollars next year. That's a pretty big cut into anybody's payroll. Um, you know, it's funny. The one thing you hear people say is, well, he needs to go somewhere where they're just going to let him play. And and I've heard people around the league say just the opposite. <laughs> what you probably should do with him is just shut up. Like, he needs to go in and get – putting him on the court and playing isn't necessarily maybe the solution right now. Maybe the solution is bringing him in and just shutting him down and trying to fix whatever is wrong, whatever has happened, and trying to first understand what it is. And that's – before you can talk about fixing anything is, does anybody really understand what happened, why it happened? And I think that's really difficult for teams to do from afar. Um, teams have done their research. They've done their, you know, they've dug into it from afar. And listen, Philly hasn't solved it from within. And that's not an indictment of Philly. Yeah, It's just, it's complicated. There, there may not be an answer to it. Or certainly there's probably not an easy answer. <clears throat> so... Like, of course, somebody at 20 years old will take him on and make. But I think he's got to be 
we're probably getting to the point where he's got to be looked at as more of a reclamation project than he is and stop looking at him as the first overall pick. Now that's harder to do in Philly. Although I think it's a little, I do think it's a little easier because the team is winning. The team is, is on a very, um, they're on a course for a lot of success for a lot of years with the group they have. If Jimmy Butler stays and they stay healthy where it's not a team that uh, a, a really bad lottery team that drafted who, who blew it with a number one pick and is sitting there waiting for him to be the savior because they're just terrible. That's not in Philly. He, like, so I think in some ways that they could treat him a little bit differently than say Anthony Bennett had to be treated in Cleveland where they were like, we're not very good. We really would like this guy to be at least productive. Um, so I, I think for Philly, while, you know, they're not, they did give up a lot for him. It is probably easier for somebody else to just um, treat him again, like a reclamation project, but Philly's not there yet. I, I don't know that they'll, I, you know, their plan right now is assuming he comes back from these appointments in New York and is able to positively soon that they'd try to put him back in that role he was in. See if he can fit back into that. But the team, you know, the team's played well here without him, too. And T.J. McConnell, who had been the source of some trade talks. Now, T.J. will be a free agent this summer. They've got to make a decision. Do we extend him? Um, Max do, Guy, probably. T.J.? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, think about, think about this. T.J. McConnell probably could have gotten, in fact, I'm very confident T.J. could have gotten Philadelphia first-round pick in the last few weeks. Markel Fultz probably wow. can't. And think about wait that. a minute, wait a minute. So you think TJ gets you a first more likely than Markel Fultz does? Like today, yes. Like today, yes. Now, in, in a month, if Markel comes back and starts to maybe, but like I just think right now, Fultz's value is probably at his low point. Um, but there's such a there's so many teams who need a, a, a point guard, um, either like a really strong backup or a spot starter. And there's teams who just don't have a point guard at all um, who, you know, TJ could come in and just organize their group. Uh, you, can, you can get a first-round pick for TJ McConnell. But that, the Phillies not doing that. They, they need him now. They need him to play on this team. They need him to continue in that role. And so they're not listening to those offers right now. All that goes out the window with some crazy offer. But, but barring that, you know, TJ, the Sixers want to keep TJ. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, he's he's a nice little safety valve for him um, when they want to play Simmons differently. And um, just watching him look, they, they've been they've been really impressive. And I don't even know that they've put it all together uh, quite yet. And that's that's saying yeah, something. yeah. They're they're um, uh, they're a fun team to watch, and and they're going to be really. I mean, Ryan, they're going to be really tough in that building. Um, come the playoffs, and and you think about Jimmy Butler really is perfect for that city, and. You, you could see the way they're going. To, they have embraced him. They're going to embrace him. And he just is a guy who, you know, he can bring a lot of juice into a building. And, and in so many ways, he's perfect for that team. And, you know, he's created a little bit of mythology about himself around there already with a couple of the game-winning shots he's hit uh, early on. And um, you could just see come playoff time the way that – and it's such a tough place to play uh, – yeah, I, I think that pickup for them, it, it, and it makes while Philly wasn't on his initial list, like why would why would Jimmy Butler ever leave the Sixers? He's got a uh, he's going to be a very popular player there. 
Hey, Woj, thanks so much for your time this morning, man. It's uh, it's always great catching up, and hopefully I'll see you when I'm back east, all right? Ryan, thanks for having me, man. Talk to you soon. A lot of people keep tweeting at me whenever Danny Cannell tweets something. There's nothing I can do. He's a lost cause. I'm thinking about muting him. I don't want to unfollow him. But when he started making fun of LSU's defense for giving up 74 points and failed to mention that they had seven overtimes, and then I think even he realized how stupid that was and was like, what, defense doesn't matter in overtime? And you're like, well, not when you line up at the 25 and you play essentially another full half of football with seven possessions. Um, I don't I don't know what to do about that. I think I might be better off. It might be healthier just to not care. Like he once did yell at me three years ago. I was like, why do you follow me? Now I'm wondering <laughs> why I do. You know, but everybody comes to me. I get texts. I get screen grabs. Like everybody reaches out and be like, what the heck? What is going on with him? What's up and with I your go, boy? I don't, I don't know. I don't know what's... What do you think the theory is there? I mean, we're actually doing like a five-minute Danny Cannell thing, so it's good for him. But I think so, he thought it would work if he just decided to bash the SEC because geog- like the geography would tell you on a map that that means that four other places would support him. But sometimes it's so absurd that even people that are like Big Ten fans go, "This doesn't. This is this is really dumb. It doesn't even make any sense." Yeah, sometimes I think he. His mess in the same way, like his war on football thing wasn't wrong. I think there are times when I agree with him on like the SEC being overrated, especially in some of the rankings, but sometimes he just takes it too far and it loses the entire message. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's like, Hey, it worked for Skip. So now I'm going to do it because that's not what it was like working with him. You know, like I don't, I never felt like it was skippish, but I actually think the guy that tweets is a different guy than the guy that you sit down and talk with. <laughs> That's what I think is the problem. So maybe the real guy is the guy well, that tweets. He, when he came on the, you know, the small talk pod last week, I, you know, I obviously asked him about it because he was tweeting about the Citadel, whether or not they would beat the Bills, and he was loving it because they were it was tied at halftime against Alabama, and. You know, he says that it's a joke. He's like, I'm being. He's like, I'm nah, not being serious, yeah. but I. I don't think it is. Just don't believe it. <laughs> I think he thinks it's so sweet when he makes fun of Bama for being tied. I think, yeah, I think he thinks he's having fun and everyone's in on it. But in, in reality, I don't think people think it's a joke. I don't think it is a joke, though, because like whenever I see some of his arguments about the SEC, there's so, oh, there's so many that are, they're terrible. Like some are real and I'll go, Oh, you know, that's good. But then like he actually thinks the draft pick thing now is propaganda. And then he recently pivoted and said, well, the only reason they have more draft picks is because the SEC has more teams. And you're like, yeah, but that's, that, <laughs> it's such an overwhelming gap. Like by, if you go year by year, and there was like one year where the ACC was close. So then he tried to use like that one year as evidence that the SEC actually wasn't producing that many more pros. Like I just read this kind of, it felt like a takedown of Larry Scott. And the Pac-12 commissioner because he gets he makes more money than every Pac-12 coach and he makes like three times as much as Sankey, the SEC commissioner, who makes less than every SEC coach. But you know, there's a lot of Pac-12 arguments in that they have. I didn't really know how I made it. Like I hadn't made a ruling in my head of how I felt about it. It felt like it was a bit of a takedown on Larry Scott. But then you had Newheisel, who in the piece was like, we can't get the same guys as the SEC. Like a guy that coached and has known that league his whole life was basically like, yeah, like it's not, it's not the same for us. So I would even argue there are times where I've agreed with Danny that the depth of the league has been overrated in comparison to where that league was years ago. But 
it kind of just takes me back to my whole Alabama thing and the angst that people have about this. If Bama loses a close game, they're back in. And everybody's going to say it's rigged and it's stupid and why even bother playing the games and just give it to Alabama again. People realize that Alabama will have only had one loss, right? Because I think that gets lost in all of this stuff. And throughout all of these arguments and all the different hand tricks that we try to do and the funny tweets and the specific, let's say, the the plucking of information that we do every year with this sport, as much as I love it, it's annoying as hell because I could do it with all the teams what if I just think Oklahoma's better than Ohio State? You know, is that okay to still do anymore or no? And what if I think Alabama, after a close loss and having only one loss through 13 games, is still one of the four best teams? Is that okay? Is it okay to think that way? Or am I an idiot? And well, his point would be that this weekend should be a playoff game. Georgia, Alabama is a playoff game. Losers out. If it went to eight, I wouldn't be upset about it. I just think that if you did it for eight, you know, ten, like let's say it's eight teams for ten plus years, twenty years. I mean, we're on four years of information from this. That you would have, like let's say Northwestern had lost to um Illinois, which, you know, wasn't, well, actually it ended up being competitive because they, they took the quarterback out. They would be seven and five. They're eight and four now, right? They're seven and five. And since the conference, like they actually could have won the conference with, if they were eight and one, seven and two, six and three, they could have been six and three. Like I just think there are certain times and it's not necessarily like an anti Northwestern thing. Although I know people have accused me of being that way the last few weeks. That's fine. I think you'd end up having some weird conference champion. It's happened a little bit with the Pac-12 South in certain years where it's just everybody beat up on each other or the conference wasn't that good or the division wasn't that good. I mean, each year is kind of different. But I don't know that I love a team just being awarded a chance and they'd have to win their conference championship. I just don't want that kind of team with a chance to play for a national championship. I just don't. And to me, it's completely different than basketball. I like that they're all automatic bids in, in college basketball because there's all these conferences and, you know, other than, yes, the Loyola, uh, you know, VCU, the Butlers, but for the most part, like, it's really hard to win those four games to get to the final four and it's usually always the big boy programs and you still gotta win four just to get to the final four. I don't think you should be in the eight if you were a four or five loss team through 12 to 13 regular season games in your conference championship game. I just, I don't think you should, like, you've shown in the 12 or 13 games that you could lose every third game. You shouldn't be invited to anything that says you should play for a national championship. And if it means an automatic group of five bid, throw UCF in last year, this year, okay? I'm, I'm all right with it, not with the four. But there are going to be other years where when you start doing this, include everybody, include everybody, you're going to have teams, you know, that are, in the elite eight, essentially, of the college football season that I feel have no business even being allowed to try to win a national championship. Like, I don't want nine and seven Giants winning a Super Bowl in college football. I don't want it. So when someone says, oh, the NFL, did you feel that way about the nine and seven? I think it's weird that a team could go nine and seven in the NFL and then win a Super Bowl. I don't know that that makes that sport better. It does for you if your team was nine and seven, but I wouldn't want the nine and seven team having a chance to even win a national championship, the equivalent of a nine and seven in college ball. This goes back to the four versus eight thing. Like, yes, I 
I wish there was, you know, teams like UCF would have a shot. I think that would be more fun, especially that now that I, I know the quarterbacks hurt, so it, it throws a wrench in the works. But two years of that, I think they deserve a shot, not in a four-team playoff, but in an eight-team playoff. And then especially when you're starting to get two teams in the same conference making a four-team playoff, that to me just doesn't work. You don't like two teams. Like, it bothers you that there are two. It would bother me, and it should bother all the other conferences if Georgia and Alabama get in. If it's if Alabama loses and it's Georgia, Alabama, Notre Dame, and three conferences are left out, um, you know this thing, this thing will. I don't think it will be. I know they keep telling us all the time that it's oh you're going to wait until the TV contract runs out for another eight years. I don't believe these guys ever. I don't. I mean, Bill Hancock's nice enough, but he basically just spouted out whatever anybody wanted to hear. And, you know, I remember hosting these college football seminars up at the airport in Connecticut. So they'd fly every single college football person in. And then we went and did it. And Hancock spoke. And, again, it's always weird with Bill because he's really good at being liked because everybody likes him. And then everybody everybody follows every criticism of Bill Hancock's statements. They Actually, they they qualify it with, hey, everybody's a really nice guy. Like, everybody really likes him. But, you know, Herb Street holds his hand up. I'll never forget that it was hilarious. And Kirk, like, did it in a really diplomatic way. And he just says, hey, how come, um, you know, in the past when we were 11 games, couldn't go to 12, couldn't do college, you know, conference championship games because of classes. We couldn't do more playoff games because of classes. And then, you know, there's this. And then and he's like, well, you know, class, really worried about the class schedule. We're, like, no, you aren't. You've added, I mean, this used to be 11 games in a bowl game. And now it's, for some teams, 15 games, two teams. Wouldn't it be easy, though, to just, if you wanted to do the eighth thing, just get rid of conference championship games? Well, the thing is, is most of the conferences, I don't think, wanted them. And then there was this inferiority complex when you didn't have it. It's like, you know, everybody... See, that's the thing I think it's kind of brings it full circle here, is that there's so many other people around the country that think this SEC thing is just propaganda. Like, they legitimately think these teams aren't good. And that it's just, oh, they had an SEC title game first, and then they're just better with advertising. And, you know, the SEC network thing, which is stupid. Like, I, I wish in a way ESPN had no SEC network, at least for me, um, from just a, 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 a conversational standpoint. Like, of course I want it for the company. Of course I want it. But I mean, just me being on different campuses, and this is like a, a just a me thing, where if I'm doing a thing at Ohio State or I'm doing a thing at Penn State and then they go, oh, well, you know, you have the SEC network and you're like, you guys just don't get it. You don't get how it works or how it doesn't work. Like all your fears and all the things you think are happening behind the scenes, they aren't. They they aren't happening. No one has ever, ever handed me a piece of paper and said, say this about the SEC. They just don't. So I I think your point of like, why not just get rid of the conference championships and all that stuff. I think the biggest issue is that you have – you have so many of these teams playing different schedules within their own conference, and that's because of expansion. Like, expansion has sucked. Like, the overall thing with expansion and the hysteria of how do we survive and how – like, the, it, no one's playing the same schedule anymore. So I'm not even sure if the 7-2 and two team is is better than the 9-0 and o team. You know, like, I, it just – the whole thing was stupid. It was this land grab – and, you know, another part about Larry Scott is he's sitting here as this commissioner that's, that's under fire a little bit, but let's not forget, like he, he showed up on the scene. He did every interview. He was like, we're going to get Oklahoma. We're going to get Texas. And they ended up with Colorado and Utah. And shout out to Utah because they're playing in the Pac-12 title game. 
the nine and seven Giants argument, though, to me, like I agree with you on that. But isn't there some middle ground? Like, <laughs> like we're talking about teams with uh, their undefeated teams and one loss that are fighting to get into this playoff. We're not even. I, I'm not worried about the nine and seven Giants teams. Those teams, I don't. I obviously don't want in. But there are teams that are closer on the fringe, or like like one of probably Oklahoma and and Ohio State are going to get left out. I would just like to see them in. Period. And I think those teams, if they got in, would be worthy of being in the playoff and worthy champions if they ended up making a run. It's unlikely, but they would be worthy of it. Yeah. The irony with this whole thing this year too is that it cuts off perfectly at eight. <laughs> I mean, it's it's. It's perfect. And I don't, I'm not one of those people that believes that it's going to be, oh, eight and then it's going to be 16. Like, no, I think eight is, I think eight's a really good number. As I've argued against eight, it makes it sound like I don't want eight. I, if eight happened tomorrow, I'm like, all right, cool. Let's do it. I'm, I'm fine with eight, but there are more problems with eight than the people that are like eight, eight, eight. I mean, what, I don't know why, if I were a conference commissioner or a president or AD, I would hate this system. I would hate it. Be like, why did we come up with something where one of us is always left out? Like, let's just split up all this money and make it eight. Like, what's the problem here? The whole reason they went from the BCS to four, and I'm telling you, Stuart Mandel was all over this. These guys were all sitting around. They were watching TV. They were sick of people like me and all these guys on TV shows bashing them all the time. Like, oh, this is stupid. Stupid system. Stupid system. All these different things. But I mean, it's still kind of a stupid system now. Um. Well, it's, I, I don't know. Is it better than a computer or is it worse? It's better than it was, but that doesn't mean it's not stupid. <laughs> like, you, you know what I mean? Like, I think that it's there, you're still leaving teams out that I think, you know, any given year could have a worthy shot of, of making, a, making noise in, in a quote unquote playoff. Who do you think's better, LSU or Michigan? Ooh, I think Michigan's better, even though it's not a good week to say that. Yeah. Cause Michigan's the only team in the top eight with two losses. And then I look at LSU and go, all right, they lost to Florida, Bama in a seven overtime game to A&M that let's just say a call here or there may have changed the outcome of that one. Um, I just know what's going to happen. Everybody's going to go, okay, well, wait a minute. If UCF's eight, you know how, like, but this year there's a really good cut line there. And then it feels like Michigan at 10 and two, you go, so let me see. Like, I thought Notre Dame handled them that first week, and then, I mean, they just got smashed by Ohio State. Like, in a rivalry game, especially that one, but if there was one that, that Harbaugh had to win, it felt like that one. And now I'm, I'm just sort of left with, and I'm, I look, I'm sorry, I still think Harbaugh's good, but I'm left with, how, how are you that flat this year? Like, he's now two Ohio State games away from playing in playoffs half the time he's been in Ann Arbor. And, you end up having this sick feeling if you're a Wolverines fan going, wait a minute, how far away are we actually? I don't know what else I had. I had this theory thing that I wanted to work on. Should I should I workshop it a bit here with you for a minute or two? What are the details? Or, yeah. Should we do a live mailbag? Those <laughs> always go well. No? I don't know. Uh, the, the, I want to hear your theory because I want to, we could always, you could you know, present the argument and then we could, you know, work on it for next week's pod or we could do it okay. now no i think i think we have enough here today but here's here's what i'm thinking i it's not going to be the girlfriend quarterback thing although i've thought about doing that with with uh quarterbacks or maybe basketball players as the guy in your group of friends so all equal here do kind of a guy one right i like where it's going yeah so I, i'm gonna work on that i just don't think it'll be as good as the girlfriend one 
Because people, I couldn't believe how many girls have loved that one. I couldn't believe how many girls have listened to this podcast. Shout out to the girls. Um, I have that. I want to do the NBA as NFL guys. Are you ready for that one? But I want you to do that with me. I, what, I want to. What? Give me want, an example. Like what? Okay, is Harden Odell, and is Odell Harden? Hmm. Art- wow. Yeah. Super blown away with this premise. Well, I'm trying to. Th- I like it. I'm just trying to think if I agree <laughs> with that. I think Harden's like you talk. You talking like from a like as a guy all standpoint or a player? No, no player. All of it stuff. Like I think they both love the scene. Love it. And the thing I give Harden the advantage for is like Harden loves the scene and he doesn't care that you know. Odell loves the scene and then acts like I can't believe people bother me. Like Odell wants it both ways more so than Harden does. And then it becomes, okay, how good is he? Okay, he's great. The raw talent is incredible. But does it translate? Does it mean you're a winner? Does it mean you're the greatest teammate? I think Harden's been a better teammate than he was when he was younger. I don't think Odell's a great teammate. I think there's plenty of evidence there. Although I did think it was interesting that people acted as if Roethlisberger wasn't criticized for saying I've earned the right to criticize my teammates, and people acted as if everybody trashed Odell. I think we always have a hard time with how we react to guys trashing their teammates. It's usually just a popularity thing. Like, do you like the guy that's being trashed, or do you like the guy that's doing the trash talking? But maybe I'm seeing this too closely because I've Never been a big Roethlisberger guy, even though I think he's terrific as a quarterback. Roethlisberger gets crushed all the time. I don't think he gets this free pass that people were trying to say that Roethlisberger gets that Odell didn't get. Yeah, I, I agree. I think when you when, when when Roethlisberger comes up, it's just an it's an eye roll. Like for anything he says, his injuries, like you know when he was hurting in the Broncos game, everyone's like, okay, he's not really hurt. Like he, I think he just gets crushed constantly. I think he gets crushed all the time. So this, oh, look at this free pass for Roethlisberger crowd. I'm going, where the hell have you guys been? But then sometimes, you know, you try to catch yourself and be like, wait a minute, just because I've been on the Roethlisberger thing, am I too? And I know he won't see this podcast because he blocked us all 7,000 members of the media. Um, so Harden, yeah, Odell, you know, you don't, I don't feel like you're, you're hot on that one. Yeah. I, this is again, we're very early. Let me get to the thing I'm actually workshopping. They'll say goodbye to everybody. All right. Ready for this? Yeah. What if instead of just drafting quarterbacks, we had a reality show where quarterbacks would have to kind of like be paired off with different coaches? So instead of one bachelor and 20 women or one bachelorette and 20 men, we had every rookie quarterback and instead of women or men to be paired up with, it would just be like McVeigh and a headset and like a couple guys on his staff. And then they would all go to some mansion in Paris and party for six weeks of television and then that's how they would figure out the best fit. Yeah, I mean, everybody would try to be hooking up with McVay, I'd imagine, right? McVay would have an STD. How would Andy Reid do, do there? <laughs> Andy, when he would get out of the car, you know, it would be Mahomes, it would be Deshaun, you know, it would be all these guys, and they would kind of be like, oh, dude, you know, I hope, I hope that's security. And then Andy would get out, and they'd be like, oh, he's on the show. Are you serious? And then Andy start chefing up some burgers around the pool, and he'd say, "Hey, you know what I like? I like a lot of motion." And then Mahomes might be like, "Really? I love motion." Like, yeah, I saw you at Tech. I could see you. I could see you with a lot of motion and kind of you know running 
rolling you out of the pocket, but I don't want you to rely on the run. And then Mahomes <laughs> is like, I don't want to rely on the run either. He's like, yeah, this is great. And then Mahomes will like tell the other young QBs, he'd be like, I know this is going to blow your mind, but like, you know who I kind of am into? Andy Reid. They'd be like, dude, no way. No way. They'd be like, yeah, I think I'm kind of into Andy Reid. They're like, that's crazy. They'd be like, do you hear who McVay took down? I'd be like, who? Every second rounder. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, everybody would be after McVay. But I think there'd be something here. Like, Baker and Hugh could be hanging out. And then Baker would just roll his eyes at everybody and be like, nope. And then you would have avoided him being drafted by him altogether. You know, Belichick could be sitting off in the corner. And then guys would go up to him and be like, hi, you know, I'm I'm Josh Rosen. And Bill, Bill would just be like, hi, oh, Josh. And Josh would be like, what, um, you know, I'm from out west. Like, what are, what are some of your interests? Uh, I'm looking for someone that's, uh, susceptible to being brainwashed and hopefully avoids free thought for the first, I don't know, 20 years of their career or so. 15, maybe. 20 would be nice. And, uh, you know, it'd be great if you could just take a discount every single year you're a quarterback with my program. And then Rosen would walk away and be like, that Belichick guy's nuts. Delusional. There's no one that would ever do any of that stuff. Yeah, but then he's kind of intriguing, so you start to like him. The same way like Neil Aquina's intriguing. Well. <laughs> I'm going to work on that. You work on this. Subscribe as many times as you possibly can to the podcast. That keeps those watch reads rolling in. And check out Sarudi's, uh, what do you got, small talk? Are you on it now, full time? Most weeks, yeah. Most weeks, me, Freeze Pops, and uh, Michelle Smallman in the Lou. That's crazy. Are you going to move to St. Louis too? Uh, no, <laughs> with all due respect. All due respect. Yeah. Okay. I doesn't feel like my scene. I was actually talking I think about I ruin. I think I ruined my quarterback reality show thing because I think I use some of my better material now, and now I, I if I do it again, I'm just going to be repetitive. Although comedians, I know the whole stand-up thing is hard, but you guys get to do the same routine every night. You know, you know how great that'd be if I just had to do one killer segment for like three or four months? Yeah, and then keep improving it as you go. Yeah, just fine-tuning yeah. it a little bit yeah. here or there. We got to start doing live podcasts. We are going to do a live podcast. We're uh, trying to get the location down for two different ones. One would be an event-based one, and then the other one is going to be in Manhattan Beach. So we're going to do a live pod. There's, there's a two two locations that we're possibly going to use in Manhattan Beach unless something else pops up but uh, and then you're going to be out here we're going to get you a hat and a visor and just watch you kill it on six man weekend I was going to say like yeah like I, this is my first time to uh, Casa de Rosillo that's right you can stay with me you get a guest room got a few people roll in mostly dudes <laughs>